Thank you, choir. That was that was great. You would turn with me in your scriptures to Isaiah chapter forty this morning. Isaiah chapter forty. And the reason that we we're doing the Heidelberg reading is because it's all about comfort. And that's where we are this morning. Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 8. So let me give you some just background information that will help you understand where we are this morning. Chapters 40 to 66 to the end of the book are like a new page for Judah, which is the southern tribe of Israel that Isaiah is writing to. Isaiah now is in his latter years, probably 69 years or older, maybe 70 plus, and God is giving him the task of comforting his people for the dark days that lie ahead for them. Now, his original commission, if you remember, was in chapter 6, and now God is recommissioning him, you might say, to, to come with a different message, one of comfort to a people who are about to struggle in great ways when they are taken captive by Babylon and by Nebuchadnezzar. So let's just read Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 8. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you would, let's pray for our time. Oh God, we know that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God, your testimonies are eternal. Lord, I thank you for this message of comfort. God, and I pray for the believers' hearts and minds here in this room who right now are struggling with difficulties and are having a hard time finding comfort. Lord, point them in the direction of comfort in you. Lord, open a way for them to find amazing comfort, not in the flowers of the field or the grass fades, but in our Savior, our great comforter. Lord, be glorified during this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, I want to ask you, what, where do you comfort yourself? Where, where does your comfort come from in emotionally, 
in physically difficult times, right? And so for the last few days, I've been a bit under the weather, and and it, it brings out a lot of bad things in my heart. I'm sure that I'm the only one that happens to. And I have to ask, where am I going to seek comfort when I'm not feeling well? Well, every creature is comforted, you might say, according to its nature. Think of that. So a, a deer by a perfect bedding spot, is it comforted? A bee in a garden of flowers. Children by the security of their parents. An Alabama fan doing what they do, destroying teams 75 to nil. An Auburn fan doing what we do, winning by one point against the local junior college. Yet we win, and I am comforted. But for the believer, with the Holy Spirit, it is the Word, and it is the promises of God that comfort us. That's where our comfort comes from. But the problem is that we are constantly bombarded with promises of comfort in other places, aren't we? And we're given visuals and pictures that if you'll just do this or have this, then, then, then you'll be comforted. Now, I, several I see that are always coming at us is, first is security, right? Uh, often our comfort is built solely upon the numbers of our bank account. Now I can have peace of mind, we're told, if I build up enough equity. Or maybe job security, that my heart's in turmoil until I get tenure in this position. For others, comfort comes in relationship. That unless they're experiencing an emotional fulfillment in relationship, they're not comforted. Or for many, unless they are in a relationship with a man or a woman, they have no comfort of heart. And I'd say that. The last one, I think, is often possessions, isn't it? We go from gadget to gadget, wanting the, the newest and the greatest. Or we go from bigger and better. We're always craving the newer, the bigger, the better. You might say upwards and onwards is often the cravings of our heart. And these are not bad things. These are great blessings of our God. But for the believer, they are not suitable. Even You might even say they are defective to really comfort your heart. What do you mean, Rusty? Well, suppose that you're here one day at the preschool. And our children at the preschool are so well cared for that they don't cry, but let's just say that there was one crying one time. And that was a joke. You know, all children cry, right? And you come in, and there's a child crying, and it's a little girl, it's little Cindy, and you have a big lolly in your pocket, and you go up to her and you go, oh, don't, don't cry. Did Pastor Rusty come scold you? Oh, here, take this. And you give her a big piece of candy. She suddenly stops crying. The, deer, the, the, the tears just disappear, and she's now comforted. But why? Why is she comforted? Is, is it because her heart has changed? No, it's because the candy she has in her hand. It's a temporary comfort. It's a defective comfort because it comes and goes. When the candy goes, the tears come back. Take away the candy. Take away the comfort. How do you know where you find your comfort? 
I'd suggest that it is expressed in the language of the heart. Maybe the outside of your life looks real good, like a new shoe, clean and put together, but inside it's frantic, constantly running after the next thing to comfort it, seeking security, relationships, or possessions, all new candy in the hand. And if taken away, so I lose my comfort. So my friends, the question we need to think of this morning is, where do you direct your cravings for comfort? It's okay, we just said kids cry. Where, where do you direct the cravings for your comfort when you're going through a difficult time? Is it more security? Is it relationship? Is it possessions? Isaiah 40, this is the question that he answers for us. Israel has had nothing but difficulty for years and years because of their sins. They have abandoned their God, and they've longed to be like every other nation. They've broken their covenant with God, and God comes to Isaiah the prophet in his old age and says, Comfort, comfort my people now with gospel truths and promises. And unlike the flowers of this world that come up quickly and fade away, his word and his promises is where his people find real comfort. So that's our main idea today. It's real simple. God's word and God's promises is where we find our comfort. And it must be where we direct the cravings of our heart. So in these eight verses, th there's three main areas that he talks about directing the desires of our heart for comfort. First is this. Direct the desire of your heart for comfort towards God's forgiveness. Verses 1 and 2. 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Now this is like a prologue, like an introduction to the rest of the book, these two verses, you might say. Now, it is, it is like we, if you've been reading Isaiah with us, it's like we've gone through the storm in the morning, and now we're going to the calm of the afternoon. 40 to 66 is very much the calm of the afternoon as God speaks comfort to his people. In the same way God called Isaiah in chapter 66 to prophesy judgment, now he's coming back to him. He's recommissioning him with a future vision of, of comfort for those who are soon to be shattered by Babylon. And notice what he says. Speak tenderly to my people. So Isaiah, you've been giving judgment again and again. Take that away now. I need you to shepherd my people with tenderness and gentleness in how you speak to them. Then he goes on. The warfare is ended. It means a period of warfare which is caused hardship. Judah had been ravaged by war, and God is saying, no, that's finished now. A new page is turned for you. And then he gets to the heart of the comfort here. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So think about the king of all things looking down upon his people, and he's saying, I pardon you for everything that you have done. They have been released from the bondage 
of captivity by the Babylonians. Remember, this has not happened yet. He's speaking of something that's going to happen in the future, and he's giving them comfort for a trial that's coming. She has received double for her sins means you will experience abundance of suffering. It's coming. That's what he's saying. But God will pardon them. Their punishment will be finished. Now, when we read that, we go, okay, Rusty, how does that fit into us? Is that the same covenant that we are part of? Does that apply to us? Well, I want to read to you Leviticus 26, 38 to 40. And to understand what's happening here and how God is treating his people, we need to back up and understand the covenant of the law, the agreement that God had. Listen to verse 38. And you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. Talking about if they sin. But if you confess your iniquity and sins to your fathers in their treachery that they committed against me and walking contrary to me, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, with Isaac, and with Abraham. God is saying, I am faithful to the promise and covenant I made with your fathers. You now are forgiven. Your hard labor is over. You have broken that promise again and again and again, and my judgments towards you are are finished. I have accomplished my goal. Your heart is softened. And now I will be tender with you. Now, my friends, what about us? Is that how God works with you? Are you, are you in that same covenant? I need to just give you a little bit of theology here. Just Hebrews 9.15 says this. Therefore, he is the mediator, talking about Jesus, of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Let me put this together. If God made a covenant with Abraham by faith that Abraham was saved, by faith he was declared righteous, why did he make another covenant a temporary covenant with Moses of the law. Why were they under the law? Galatians 3.19. Why then the law, Paul says? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise was made. And he goes on, The law was a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. God saw that his people were not obeying the law that was written upon their hearts. So he wrote it on stone tablets for them as a covenant because of their sin, as a keeper, a protector, until the promised Messiah came and would be the sacrifice for their sin. So, okay, Rusty, I I think I'm getting this. Let me put it like this. Think of the law as a mirror. Have you ever gone to someone's house and you've been with them watching a football game or something like that and you go in the bathroom and you realize as you smile that you just got green stuff all over your teeth that happens to me all the time maybe not you that's another joke it doesn't really happen to me 
And so let's say you go in the bathroom and you see you've got seaweed because you've been eating sushi all over your teeth. And so you go, oh, I'll fix this. And you grab that mirror off the wall and you get teeth and you go like this. Ah, there we go. That cleaned it up and you put the mirror back. You'd say that's absolutely absurd. If someone did that to my mirror, I would show them the door. But you see, my friends, that's the law. The law's goal is to reveal and show us our sin. It has no capacity to cleanse us. It just reveals. And when God made the covenant, which is temporary with Moses, which had curses and blessings, it was to keep them until the Messiah would come and would fulfill that law for us. And so is the law good now? Absolutely it's good. It reveals God's will for us. Does it have any ability to cleanse your life and to give you power over brokenness and sin? Absolutely not. It makes us run to Christ. And that's exactly what happens here in Isaiah 53. That's where he takes them. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. So these two verses are a prologue to how the book will end. What God will do. Yes, he has forgiven his people after punishing them for their horrendous actions. But he comforted them. God himself will send another, a suffering servant, who will carry our sins. Take the punishment that we are due. And God will lay upon him the sins of his people. So here's our first great comfort. We have all struggled. We've all had times when we left our first love and we've rebelled against God. And yet we are forgiven because of the work of the suffering servant. And this is pointing them forward to what God would do. Second is this. Second is this. Where is our comfort found? First, it's in the great forgiveness that we have. He talks about it here and then more in Isaiah 53. Second is that God is coming. Verses 3 to 5, if you'd look there in your Bible with me. Verses 3 to 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Notice those words, a voice in the wilderness, a human voice. Who is this? Well, he doesn't tell us. You see how he says it's a voice? He doesn't say it's a prophet. doesn't say it's a man, it's a woman. He just says a voice. And the reason he tells you just a voice is because it's not about the messenger. That This person that's coming that's going to be a voice in the wilderness it's not about him. It's about his message. And Isaiah says, he's just a voice. There's a voice coming. Okay? Now, tell us more. Notice what he says there. He will prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is what we call a chiastic structure. He takes two things, puts them right together, and they mean the same thing. He's, he says one thing in two different ways. And what he's saying is prepare the way means 
set in order. So this voice will come and he will declare to people, set in order. What, what to set in order? A, a big house for God or um, a new temple, a new priest? No, no, no. Their hearts, their lives. Set in order your life is what the voice will cry in the desert. Okay? Go on, tells me more. Verses 4 and 5. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. Verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it. Remember the setting. He's saying, Nebuchadnezzar has captured Jerusalem. He's raided the temple. Ten years later, he came back and burned the city to the ground. The glory of God, the presence of God, was gone. The Ark of the Covenant was gone. And now God is saying to his people in a prophetic voice, Be comforted. My glory shall be revealed, and all people will see it. And at the same time, Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. So all hindrances to my work will be removed, he's saying. God will prepare the soil for the coming through the voice of the one in the desert. Do you see that? You say, who is this? Well, we all know who it is. It's John the Baptist. And in John 1, John the Baptist is out baptizing people where? in the desert, in the wilderness, when an, an official group of priests, they come to him because his fame is getting so big, and they come to him from the temple, and they ask him, they want to know who he is, and they say, are you Elijah? John the Baptist says, no, I'm not Elijah. They say, okay. Are, are you the prophet to come? No, I'm not the prophet. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah that we've been looking for? The priest from the temple asked. No, I'm not him. Well, who are you? <laughs> and what are you doing out here baptizing people? And this is how John the Baptist answers them. Verse 23 there. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. You see, God's glory has come, not in a temple, in a living temple, Christ. He said his glory is coming. It has come. And before it came, he sent a voice. He sent a messenger, a prophet in the wilderness to prepare the way with a baptism of repentance. God prepared the way for his son to reveal the glory of God through a call to a nation to repent because the Christ was coming. So what is our second great comfort? Our second great comfort, my friends, is that God has come. Not in a building or above an ark. He's come in a person. He's come in a person. Let me say it like this. Years ago, the poor and the elderly, they did not live on what they produced. They only lived on what people would give them. Years ago, there was no welfare. And when you were poor, you only lived and survived on what others would give for, for you. My friends, that is us with Christ. That is us with Christ. We live and are comforted by the love of Christ. 
I am comforted by his care, the promise of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ, and through my personal relationship with Christ. My comfort is found in the greatness of another who is for me. And so comfort yourself, point two, God has come. And he sent a messenger to prepare the way. Here's point three, and we'll close with this. Third thing for our great comfort in times of trials and struggles is God's word is trustworthy to you. Let's read that once more, verses six to eight. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. He's making a final contrast. The trustworthiness of man that we seek our comfort in and the word of God where we must seek our comfort. Notice he says, all flesh is grass. He means that all that is man, our glory, our greatness, is very much like a flower in the field, blooming and beautiful for a short time, but quickly gone. And his point is that things of this world they do give us comfort. And there's nothing wrong with finding comfort there. But they're there for a short time. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow, no matter how beautiful and strong they are. And for the believer, it's not where we must find our greatest comfort. And then he closes and he tells us where. The grass withers. The flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. People and governments come and go. Yet the truth of God's word and his promises stand forever. Therefore, the word, the promises of God are our greatest comfort. What comforts the believer the most in our trials and difficulties. How do we think and live this? How do we take this from our head to our heart so it penetrates how we live and affects how we think? Well, my friends, I want to ask you, how does God's word comfort you? Does it comfort you? Does it really comfort you? When, when you're reading the scriptures and you're having your devotionals or however you do it, does it comfort your heart? Do you find that your cares are lifted off there? And if not, why not? Why are you not receiving the grace from word and spirit so that sometimes we feel like I need to go find it somewhere else? Well, consider our hearts come alive with love and excitement when the thing that we love most and are most excited about stands in front of us. It stirs our hearts. But on the flip side, the thing that we hate the most, when it's in front of us, it excites our hearts also, doesn't it? With anger and bitterness and those type things. If we love a person, our love is excited and grows by the sight of that person or anything that reminds us of them, right? So, wives, when your husband comes home and you see him and you think, he's late. <laughs> no, you think, wow, I'm so excited to see him. Or your children come out of school and you've been thinking about them all day. Suddenly they come out and you think your heart leaps for joy. 
because they're there. They're physical. They're with you. God's Word brings the Christian and that which we love most, Christ Himself, together, face to face. And that's how there's grace in it because that's where we encounter Christ. A family several years ago was hiking in the Southern Alps and they were way back in the Wop Wops of the Southern Alps and they had a group of youth with them, 12, 13 year old kids, and they'd done everything right for this trip, taken all the precautions, signed in the books where they're supposed to be. But in these mountains, blizzards came about sometimes. And there was a blizzard that they got caught in. Well, the Department of Conservation knew that, and they would drop these giant containers, like a, what do, what do we call them, like a truck, you know, the truck beds, the big containers. Just nod if you have an idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. They would drop those in different places for people to be able to survive in. And so this family with this big group of kids, they found one of those containers, and they were able to go in, and there were some supplies in there, a little bit of food, a little bit of food. Um, did I just say food and food? A little bit more food and some wood and some other stuff. But as they were there for several days, the snow kept going. It got bigger and deeper and thicker. And their rations got smaller and smaller and smaller. And so they began to pray. And then suddenly they heard a knock at their door. Can you hear that? Like that. It was Rob Hall, the famous mountaineer who ended up climbing Mount Everest in 1996 and dying one of the world's most famous mountaineers, and he had led a rescue team to save the family and those children. Now, I am sure that this family had hopes of the Department of Conservation would send someone to look for them. But can you imagine the comfort of seeing Rob Hall, one of the greatest mountaineers in the world, knocking on your door, ready to lead you down the mountain with all the supplies you need, and would bring the greatest comfort to the fearful and anxious heart. How do you find comfort? How is God designed for you to find comfort? It's when we behold Christ as He is given to us through His Word and through the Spirit in the most difficult times, times when our hearts are hard, when we have little comfort, our comfort comes alive as we engage the person of Jesus Christ in worship and meditation through His Word and His Spirit. So we can say that Christ is the believer's greatest comfort. And we engage and see and experience Christ most through Spirit and times in His Word. And that is God's gift to you and God's gift to me. That's Rob Hall knocking at the door. Father, thank you so much. Um, just for your word. God, your grace to us. You've not left us alone as children in the desert. Thank you that there's a better covenant. And I know I didn't make that clear. But thank you, God, that the, the temporary covenant of the law that Israel was under because of their sin, Christ has fulfilled that. 
We've got a living Savior who lived a perfect life and died a perfect sacrifice. And now, by faith in Him, we are under your government, Lord. And you spiritually nourish and keep your people, Lord. And we find comfort day and night in the fact that we are forgiven. The death of Christ is sufficient. That He has come. We're not just waiting. He has come. God has come into our world. And through your word, your testimony, your truth, which you've left for us, spiritual nourishment. And there, there we see and experience and know by your spirit, our Savior. Oh God, we want to know him more and more of the comfort in the heart and life of the believer. In Jesus' name.